day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good week. It's been seven days since we last spoke. A few things have transpired in that time. The sports world shut down for a few days amid protests over another controversial police shooting in Wisconsin caught on video. The NBA started it. They took a few days off. Their leadership group, led by LeBron James, decided that they would come back and play. Although LeBron, I think he was much more on the maybe we shouldn't play this time. Baseball did the same. Some powerful moments there. This country is in a different spot than it's ever been in my life. And in my life, I've seen a lot of things, and there's been a lot of things that have gone on. But with the pandemic and the racial unrest and the economy, the upcoming election, so many things going on that have impacted our daily lives. It's been strange to follow things, and it's been strange, frankly, to try to figure out where you come down on everything because there are so many different tentacles to all of those things that I just mentioned. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Is it okay to say that you support both Black Lives Matter and the police? Is it just you have to follow one or the other? And it's it's been just a crazy, crazy time in our world. And I just keep hoping that we can all come together and be better people, treat each other with the respect and dignity that all human beings deserve, and find a common ground to rebuild our country after the devastation that this last year has brought forth. So sports world always going to be impacted. The NFL season starts nine days from today as I record this. I record this on Tuesday, September 1st. September 10th is the first game. I'm sure the NFL players will do something to make a statement in support of the other athletes and, frankly, all of the people who have been protesting and trying to create a better platform for social justice in our country. So I expect that, and I'm sure many people are going to not want to see or hear those protests. It seems to be such a polarizing issue, and I I just wish we could all step back and listen to each other. The the days of social media, there seems to be a lot of talking and not a lot of listening. There are concerns that people have that need to be heard, in my opinion. Spend time listening to all sides and then digest and move forward. But most of all, just be a better person. As we get close to... The start of the season, things now are normal. The NFL teams, they're going to begin their cuts soon. They're in regular season mode as far as practices. No longer is it preseason training camp mode where the media is allowed to observe, videotape, and do different things so that we as fans are able to enjoy that. You've got fantasy football drafts coming up. You've got all the office pools coming up. And people are trying to figure this out. But to me, there is a distinct lack of buzz about this NFL season, which 
is a little strange because, first off, the NFL is the giant of the sports world. The NFL is by far the most popular sport. It is a 24-7, 365 days a year sport for media consumption. Yet the fans who were deprived of sports for three or four months and literally wanted any sort of sport possible seem to be taking very much of a wait-and-see approach when it comes to the NFL season. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One, of course, is the fact that there's a lot of sports going on right now. Baseball's in midseason. The NHL and NBA playoffs are going on. This is also a time of year where colleges get back to going, and there are a few college football games coming up, but it's not the big-time college football games that we're used to this time of year. Traditionally, opening weekends, we see a couple great college football games, impactful college football games. That's not going to be the case this year as the Big Ten, Pac-12 have shut down for this year, or maybe not. But that's a topic for another day. It's also the fact that there's no preseason football. So we've gone from the draft back in April to training camp where we saw very limited coverage, but we haven't seen any real NFL football. We haven't seen guys like Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick, get on the field. We haven't gotten a glimpse of what it's like. We haven't seen the Bills' new players get out there, A.J. Appenenza, or Zach Moss. We haven't seen that. So I think out of sight, out of mind is a factor. And I find it ironic that, you know, for years, we've too many preseason games. There's too much going on. There's all these things. Well, as much as that's always going to be the case, I, I personally think that this year, the lack of preseason football has maybe created or added to the lack of buzz for the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see in the next few days, as cuts come in, as we start to find out different things, will people start getting hyped up for a season that'll be unlike any other season? Maybe it's the fact that fans can't go to the games. Let's face it, 70,000 people show up every Sunday that there was a game in Buffalo. Of those 70,000, I would say 20,000 could care less about the product on the field. They go for the atmosphere, the party, the tailgate, and just to be at a place where a whole lot of other people are having a good time. The 50,000 that care about the game, they're all in. But there are a whole lot of people that go to Buffalo every Sunday that could care less if the Bills win or lose. They say they're Bills fans, but they're not people who really care a whole lot. I think that the fact that they're not going to the games, they're not going to be part of the atmosphere this year, I think that's a negative as well. So there are a lot of things that I think are taking away from the interest level of the way the NFL will be presented this year. I know myself. I'm getting excited. I, I didn't know whether the season would go on. I didn't know what to expect. But as we get closer and over this next week and next week, 
the first part of my podcast is going to be my yearly predictions. What I think is going to happen, what I foresee happening. And it's different than it's ever been when I've come to making those predictions. I have very little to go on as far as some teams with new coaches. You think of the Dallas Cowboys. That's a team that I think should be poised for a run in the NFC to possibly get to the NFC championship game. I don't know how Mike McCarthy's system is going to fit Dak Prescott. I don't know how C.D. Lamb's going to play in. I don't know anything because I've seen nothing. And I think for teams that have returned the same quarterback, the same offensive coordinator, the same head coach, there's a distinct advantage. Teams like Kansas City, Baltimore, and even Buffalo to that extent, I think they are a leg up on teams that are trying to figure things out as personnel works. And, you know, you look at the New England Patriots with Cam Newton, I think that's a big ask even for Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel to figure out a way that their offense is going to fit with Cam Newton pulling the string this year as opposed to Tom Brady. So very interesting time, very uninvolved time, but yet, here we go with a week and a couple days before the games begin. And I do believe this. There's little buzz now. Next Thursday, when we see that first game in Kansas City, it's on. And come Sunday, even though there'll be no fans in Buffalo watching the Bills and Jets, Bills Mafia will have their tailgates remotely. There will be tailgates in backyards all throughout western New York with TV screens, and I'm sure there'll be a lot around the stadium as well. It'll be different, but it'll be lit. The Bills yesterday, they added a linebacker piece. They made a trade for Andre Smith. Of course, if you follow the Bills and you've been watching over the last couple of years since Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean came to Buffalo from Carolina, you don't have to ask who they traded with. Of course they traded with the Carolina Panthers. There are We all have our own stores we go to. Some people go to Wegmans for everything. Some people go to BJ's, go to Costco, wherever the case may be. One-stop shopping. You go there, and they've got your stuff, and you get in, get out, got everything you need all one stop. That is the Carolina Panthers for the Buffalo Bills. They need something, they go get it. In this case, a conditional seventh-round pick for a linebacker piece that's likely – to be more likely to be a special teams player if he makes a team. And I say if because when you make a trade for a guy and it's a conditional seventh rounder, that guy, it's it's not guaranteed he's going to commit. So I think the expectations have to be somewhat tempered because here's a guy that is much more likely – to be a special teams guy if he plays, and even if he plays, I don't see him as a 16-game player. Andre Smith was a seventh-round pick in 2018. He's played 19 of the 32 games in his first two years in Carolina. But the fact that the Bills went out and got a linebacker points out one thing to me, and that is that the Bills have one area on their team with a lack of depth. If you look throughout the roster, the running backs, you've got two good young running backs that they think can carry the load. The wide receiver group actually 
has some depth with Gabe, Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins joining Diggs, Brown, and Beasley. There's depth there. The offensive line, there's competition. Even without John Feliciano to start, I think there's competition brought in there. The defensive line, a lot of pieces to the point where Trent Murphy could potentially be a casualty of cutdown day, not because Trent Murphy can't help this team, but because of the $8 million that his salary represents and how that $8 million going forward next year when the cap will likely be reduced by $20 million as opposed to go up by $20 million could be a very significant amount of money when you look at the possibility of guys like Matt Milano still needing to be signed. You just had Dia Dawkins get an extension. There's a lot of reasons to think that Trent Murphy may be there. The back end, the depth is a little thinner now because of Josh Norman's hamstring injury, but at safety, you've got depth at cornerback. You're okay if Norman can get back. You've got depth. But the one area of this football team that doesn't have depth is the linebacking core. Of course, we know about Tremaine Edmonds in the middle. This should be a very good year. Tremaine Edmonds last year took a big step forward. I always thought the first year and a half of his career, he played hesitantly. He would hit the hole hesitantly. And then the second half of last year, it's almost as if the light switch went off. We talk about that with young athletes all the time. When the light switch goes on, you see guys stopping to stop thinking and just reacting. And it looked like that's what Tremaine Edmonds did the second half of last year. And it was impressive. He's a physical specimen. He's great in coverage, in part because he's so long at 6'5". Those arms of his are able to, to get into passing games, his speed, his ability to get there and finish plays. There are a lot of reasons to really like what Tremaine Edmonds should be this year. Matt Milano, I mentioned the Bills need to extend him, and I do believe that. Milano's come in as a fifth-round pick a couple of years ago. I wasn't sure that he was a guy that they should keep or build around. But the more he's played, the more we've seen him just have that ability, and it's an innate ability to create havoc and make plays. Whether it be a tip ball, it comes down with the interception, fumble, he recovers. He's always seemingly in the right place at the right time. That coupled with his speed and his ability to make plays again in the passing game, I think this is a very big year for Milano. The other linebacking position is a position of need. And, you know, for years it was Lorenzo Alexander and Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier did great things using Alexander sometimes in passing downs, put him as a down lineman, allowing him to rush the passer in early downs from the linebacker position. He wasn't great in coverage, and frankly, his age and, and body played into that a little bit. But this year, it's going to be A.J. Klein, who comes over from New Orleans, and he's a solid NFL linebacker. I'm not excited about A.J. Klein. I think he's serviceable. But the bigger thing with this is the backdrop to the lack of depth. If A.J. Klein's healthy, and of course Milano and Edmonds play, the three of them play all 16, the linebacking core is fine. But with injuries, I think there's a legitimate problem. You look at it behind A.J. Klein now, not only the newly acquired 
Andre Smith. Vashon Joseph, a very unimpressive rookie last year, a guy who's on the bubble and getting cut this year. Corey Thompson, a guy who seems every year to come to camp, make a few plays, but ultimately is on the outside looking looking out. So it's it's just not a strong group at the weak side linebacker position. Behind Edmonds is Tyler Medikevich, who comes over from Pittsburgh. Again, solid, and you hope he doesn't have to play much other than maybe getting the reps on special teams. The strong side, Terrell Dodson, another guy who's a bubble guy for making the team. The Bills' lack of linebacking depth is their only position that I can look at and say that injuries can significantly derail what they're trying to do. This is a team that's trying to win defense first. If they stay healthy at the linebacker position, I think that they will have a great defense. If not, it's going to be very difficult for McDermott and for Brandon Bean to put a team out there that they're confident could do all the things Leslie Frazier and McDermott want to do defensively. I would expect Bean to be very active over the next week with maybe possibly going to get a trade for a depth piece and not quite an Andre Smith guy, but somebody who's more capable of playing the position, three-down position if needed, possibly picking up somebody who's cut by another team. This is a team that has depth everywhere except this one position. So keep an eye on that. The other big news out of Bill's camp this week is a position where, let's be honest, kickers suck. I hate kickers. They get great glory when they make a game-winning field goal, and people look at somebody who misses a 47-yarder that could win the Super Bowl and say, yeah, but it's a 47-yarder. Sorry, you've got one job to do. Do your damn job. Kickers suck. But this year, Stephen Hauschka will not be the guy we're bitching at for missing extra points or key field goals. It'll be rookie Tyler Bass. The Bills spent a six-round pick to bring in Bass in this past April's draft. He's got a big leg. He is cheaper than Hauschka. I like everything about this other than the fact that he doesn't have NFL game experience. And here's another area where I would have loved to have seen preseason. Get this guy out there in the preseason and let me see what he can do as far as making field goals in the NFL. And I get it. Practice, you can do it over and over again. It works the same, the same snap, same hold. It's repetition. But until he does it repeatedly in a game on Sunday afternoons, kicking somewhat like golf, you go to the range, you're striping it. You're hitting everything solid. Get out there on the course, first deep, put a peg in the ground. All of a sudden, you hit a slice that you haven't hit in 25 golf swings. It's a different animal. There's money to be saved with Tyler Bass and, and his rookie contract. He's got a big leg, so the special teams asset on kickoffs should be a factor. But again, kicking for a defensive team is going to be imperative. I, I don't think this Bills team's a 30-point offensive team. Still think they're a 23-point-a-game team. I don't expect them to light it up. Therefore, every opportunity to score is important. Teller Bass is a guy we shouldn't be talking about once the season begins. 
He should just go out there and do his job. Hopefully he will. We'll see how that works out. A former Bills coach is in the news a little bit this week because the biggest move in the NFL over the past week was the Jaguars releasing yesterday of Leonard Fournette. Now, as a Bills fan, you might ask, do you think that the Bills should go get Leonard Fournette? And I do not. As much as the Bills' offense is an offense that I believe Fournette would fit, when you look at what they have in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, the amount of money allocated to that position, I think it is economically smart to give these two rookies an opportunity to show that they can play, bringing in Fournette, albeit a sure thing, if you will. This is a guy who in three years wasn't great in the NFL. He was good. And for a fourth overall pick, he's going to be expecting a lot of money. I think Fournette can help a team, and I think teams like New England who have a need at running back, maybe Baltimore, somebody who can run downhill and finish games in the fourth quarter. I think there's going to be a fit. I think Fournette is not somebody who's going to go away. I think he's going to be heard from again. But to me, this move highlights what a joke organization the NFL has in the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are probably the least popular NFL team. If you were to rank teams in in their popularity, Cowboys and Patriots probably up near the top. The smaller market teams traditionally down at the bottom. But the Titans, the Jags, the Bills nationally, these are teams that just aren't all that exciting. And the Jags, over the last couple of years, have drafted fairly well, but they have nothing to show for it. Think about this. I'm going to go back to 2012. The fifth pick in that draft, was the Jaguars' Justin Blackman, wide receiver from Oklahoma State. At the time, he was viewed as Des Bryant without the headaches. Now, drugs and alcohol have led Justin Blackman to being out of the league after only 20 games. The next year, Luke Jokel went number two. He was a tackle. Next, Tony Baselli, they said. Yeah, no. He's out of the league as well. And the 2014 draft, it was the legendary quarterback, Blake Bortles. Enough said. 2015, Dante Fowler was the third overall pick. Now, Fowler has found a niche. He's with the Falcons, not the Jags, because why would the Jags keep a draft pick? They just don't do that. But Fowler's been solid. The following year, Jalen Ramsey went with the fifth pick. We know about that because last year Ramsey was traded to the Rams. At least the Jags got two number ones back out of that one. 2017, Leonard Fournette. And then Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, Tavern Bryan, were the next two years' picks, both solid contributors. This year, a pair of defensive players in C.J. Henderson and Kalevon Chason, the pass-rushing edge player out of LSU. You look at this team, and you look at their inability to keep their own players, and you got to think, well, how many GMs did they go through? Uh, Dave Caldwell's still there. How many coaches have they gone through? St. Doug, Doug Marone, is somehow still employed. Tom Coughlin took the fall. He went away, but somehow Doug Marone is still employed. Now, Marone went 15 and 17 in his two years with the Bills and then used an out clause to get paid 
thinking he was going to go get the Jets job that never ended up happening. Stayed out of football for a year, took a job as an offensive coordinator in Jacksonville before being promoted to the head coach. Of course, he brought his offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, down to Jacksonville with him, and predictably, the offenses sucked. They weren't able to find a way to use Leonard Fournette. Last year, Fournette had 1,152 yards. He also caught passes, 76 out of 100 targets, 76 pass catchers for Leonard Fournette. He had 522 yards receiving. One of the reasons that Marone gave for releasing Fournette is they have other backs in this system that they feel fit the system better. All right, Leonard Fournette's a big, bruising, powerful back who can with breakaway speed. I don't think he's a great player. I said it earlier. I think he's a good player. But he can run downhill. He can finish games in the fourth quarter. As evidenced by last year, he's also capable of catching the ball. There are basically three aspects an NFL running back has to do. He has to be able to run the football. Fournette can do that. He has to be able to catch the football. Fournette can do that. And he has to be able to blitz pick. That may be an issue that Fournette is not great at. But you're two out of three. You're also going to take a big cap hit this year because of the money, because I doubt anyone else picks Fournette up at his current contract. So the $4 million the Jags owe him are going to count against them. You really couldn't find a way to use Leonard Fournette. Doug Marone is a bad NFL coach. He's always the guy who's going to get an opportunity. I don't know why. He was average at Syracuse, had a good run with a good college quarterback, got to a couple bowl games, parlayed that into the Bills coaching job. He was drafted or was given a quarterback who was drafted in the first round who had no business being there, didn't allow that quarterback to develop, and in doing so decided that Kyle Orton was a better fit at quarterback All you need to know about Kyle Orton's Bills career was this. In the fourth quarter of a game at Denver, final drive, fourth down. I think it was about seven yards, fourth and seven. Orton's back to pass. Bills get an opportunity to score. They win the game. Orton rolls out because pressure's coming, looking downfield. Last play that they could possibly make, and he slid down. He didn't try to make the first down. He slid and took the loss. And I don't mean the loss of that yardage on that play. I mean the loss of the game. That guy would rather slide and lose than make a play to try to win the football game. That was Kyle Orton. And Doug Marone decided Kyle Orton was a better fit for his mediocre 500 team than was a young quarterback that was drafted in the first round. And obviously EJ Manuel's out of the league now. So I'm sure the story has been written about EJ Manuel, but when you're a head coach and you have a guy who'd rather quit than try to win and you put him ahead of a young quarterback, I, I think you should be fired as head coach. And Doug Marone, he just, will never be somebody I respect as a head coach. 
because of his decisions repeatedly in Buffalo and now the way he's managed things in Jacksonville. Yet somehow St. Doug is still up there and still has a job. Crazy for me to think about. Speaking of jobs, the best coach in the NFL is Bill Belichick. Belichick has a new quarterback, Cam Newton, first time in 20 seasons that it's not been Tom Brady. You think about the fact that Belichick, Cam Newton, we see Cam with the hats, the scarves. What we don't see is Cam Newton in the locker room where his teammates love him. We don't see Cam Newton working to get better. Belichick doesn't compliment anybody. Belichick doesn't talk positively about his players hardly at all. How, How many times did you hear him praise Tom Brady for the great play at quarterback? Brady just didn't get the compliments. Belichick the other day said about Cam Newton, nobody works harder. Really? The Patriot way, Tom Brady, all of those things. Nobody works harder than Cam Newton. Look, I don't know how this is going to play out. I expect the Patriots, because they still have a very good defense, I expect them to be an eight-to-nine-win team this year. But I, I can't see Cam Newton, Bill Belichick, on the sidelines during games working smoothly. Cam's got a, a, an opportunity to make plays with his legs, but he also turns the ball over. His inaccuracy comes back to bite him. I can't see that being something that Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick deal well with. They also know this. Through training camp, they found out that Jared Stidham is not ready to play. The only hope for their season is Cam Newton. His teammates love him, and apparently his coaches do as well. One of the teams that I think the Bills have to sweep this year is the New York Jets. The Jets just seemingly don't have much of a future for this year. They still have Sam Darnold, but they have done a poor job surrounding Darnold with talent. They haven't given him very much to throw to in the wide receiver position. The offensive line is rebuilt with the big kid out of Louisville, Becton, being their number one draft pick and a few free agents. But I think that that line is going to take a little time to gel defensively without Jamal Adams. They're not, and C.J. Mosley for that matter, they're not nearly the same team that they should be. There's also the coach, Adam Gase, and it's pretty apparent that the players and the coach don't see eye to eye. Last week during a scrimmage, which the backups shut out the starters and actually scored 20 points on the starters. Not a good look for the starting team of the New York Jets. Le'Veon Bell was taken out because, according to Gase, hamstring issues. (coughs) Excuse me. He was taken out because he had hamstring issues. Well, Le'Veon Bell took to Twitter and said, my hamstrings are fine. Tough to stay loose when you're standing around. Clearly a shot at Adam Gase. Gase v. Bell social media is one of those things that just shows how bad the Jets' situation is. Your best offensive player 
should be Le'Veon Bell. I wouldn't be surprised if Bell is a guy we hear his, his name cut. I don't expect it. The Jets, frankly, should give Bell 250 carries plus this year. I don't think they will. Gase doesn't like Bell. Bell doesn't like Gase. They don't fit. They don't work to, together. And you're paying him almost $15 million a year. I look at this team as a team that the Bills absolutely cannot afford to lose a game, especially the opening game of the season. The Jets are still an NFL team, and they've got NFL players. And Sam Darnold, who I'm not a fan of, is a guy who can make all the throws. There's good Sam, and there's the other Sam. Good Sam can beat a good team. The Bills cannot afford to let that happen, especially opening day. So keep an eye on the Jets over the next week or so. The Los Angeles Chargers last year had a season that did not go well. Derwin James, their great safety, was injured. Defensively, that hurt. They also had a lot of poor plays down the stretch from Phillip Rivers. Derwin James is hurt again. Torres meniscus the other day in practice. Will need knee surgery six to eight months recovery time. Essentially, he's done for the year. Derwin James is as good of a young safety as this league has seen in a long time. And for him to be hurt again, devastating. Just awful and sad to hear because, again, here's a guy who can change games at the back end. The Chargers are going to have a decision to make now going forward as he nears the end of his rookie deal. How do you evaluate and how do you pay him? His value to the team when he's on the field is worth every penny he would get in a contract. Fortunately, now this couple years in a row that Derwin James has not been able to be on the field, it is devastating to the Chargers' defense that he is not there. Feel bad for the kid because, again, I think he is a great player. Not a good player, a great player. The one-loss totals are out for betting purposes. Bills are at nine. If you look at the Bills' schedule, four games against the Jets and the Dolphins, that has to be four wins. I think they should split with the Patriots this year. You're looking at five. But what concerns me a little bit are the four trips out west that the Bills have to take. They go to Las Vegas, Arizona, San Francisco, and Denver. 49ers are a great team. That's a tough game for any team, let alone a Bills team going against that defense. I think that's going to be a real test for the Bills offense and Josh Allen. The Vegas trip is going to be interesting. It's not going to be what we thought it was because of the fans. But I think the Raiders are a team the Bills should be. Arizona, Kyler Murray is going to put points up this year. That's going to be a fun game to watch. And then, of course, the Denver team, which is a young building team. I won't say rebuilding, building. I love their offensive pieces. I'm not sure how quickly they come together. I think Drew Locke has an opportunity to be a good quarterback this year. Jerry Judy, along with Cortland Sutton, are as good a wide receiver core as we've seen, young wide receiver core as we've seen in a long, long time. You add to that a, a very good young tight end and a couple of running backs and Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. 
The offensive line does their job. Defense still has Von Miller. I, I like that Denver team to be a dark horse playoff team in the AFC. Remember, there's an expanded playoff team this year, or playoff format, so you get an extra team this year. I like them. A couple other teams I really like the over on. The Dallas Cowboys, nine and a half. I know I said earlier, I, I don't know how things are going to work with Mike McCarthy. The Giants and Washington are going to be two teams that I think this year are going to be terrible football teams. I'm talking four to six win football teams. Cowboys play them four times. Philly's dealing with injuries already. The Cowboys defensive front seven has upgraded. Strange guy to be counting on, but Alden Smith, the former 49ers, the Raiders pass rusher, has been out of the league for five years. I think this kid could be a huge impact player, giving the Cowboys a pass rusher they haven't had in years. The Jets over under total is six and a half. They have a tough schedule. They play at Indy, at the Chargers, at KC, at Seattle, and at L.A. for the Rams. Those are tough, tough games. I, I just don't see the Jets winning seven games this year. The Giants have a tough schedule. They're over under number six. They play the AFC North. It was in the North. Baltimore, one of the best teams in all of football. The Steelers, a team that I think is going to be good this year if Roethlisberger stays healthy. I love what they've done defensively. I think this is a team that can win nine or ten games, the Steelers. And I don't think the Giants are going to be a team that beats them. They also go to Seattle, always tough there. And then they have San Francisco at New York. So that that's another brutal game. I don't see the Giants getting there. The Titans at eight and a half. People like the Titans based on what they did at the end of last year. Derrick Henry is a guy who starts slow and finishes strong. Ryan Tannehill had a great year last year, parlayed that into a big contract. I don't see it. I don't see this Titans team getting on a roll. So that's the NFL. A lot of things to look at as we go forward. Remember, we have friends now. Yeah, we've gotten a little cooler. Instacart is our friend. If you click on the show notes, Instacart groceries can be delivered in as fast as one hour, and your first order of over $35 can be free. Let's face it. We're all getting back to work. We're all starting to pick our lives up. Time is more valuable than ever, and going to the store is a pain in the ass. Let somebody else do that for you. Give Instacart a try. Go online, buy your groceries online. They show up on your porch in in as fast as one hour. It's great. Why wouldn't you try it? It's free, over $35 for the first time. Give it a shot. Click the show notes and join up with Instacart. The Major League Baseball trade deadline was yesterday. All right. Yeah, enough. The Yankees did nothing. The Red Sox, a team I thought that should have tried to be sellers, did very little. Mitch Moreland went elsewhere, but they didn't do a whole lot at all. The 
Mets made a couple of moves. Uh, I'll get to the Mets in a minute. As the Mets turn, this week's going to be fun. The big teams that made moves, and I'm not sure how this works at Major League Baseball central offices, but San Diego Padres. I talked last week about how they're a fun young team to watch. They're going for it. They went out and got Mike Clevenger, very good pitcher, uh, probably a two or a three out of Cleveland. Trevor Rosenthal adds depth to the bullpen. I mentioned Mitch Moreland. He is going to San Diego, a nice veteran bat. They also shored up their catching situation by acquiring two catchers, Austin Nola and Jason Castro. The Buffalo Blue Jays went out and got Robbie Ray, a real good left-handed pitcher when he's on from the Arizona Arizona Diamondbacks. Robbie Ray is a guy who should be better than he is. When you watch him throw, you'll be like, man, that kid's got great stuff. Just hasn't seemed to click for him. The Jays are a team that can hit. They need pitching. That was a good move. They're looking like a potential playoff team. And who would have thought Buffalo having a major league team and having a playoff team as well, though I don't think the playoffs are going to get there. The Yankees, they did not make a move. And, like, I thought Brian Cashman would go out and get a starter. I thought maybe he'd go get another arm for the bullpen. He sat pat. And I understand why. They're good enough when healthy to be the favorite for the World Series. But they're not healthy. And they're not even close to healthy. How about these names on the injured list for the Yankees? Aaron Hicks, Glaber Torres, Zach Britton, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, James Paxton, and, of course, two pitchers have been out all year, Luis Severino and Tommy Canely. That That's a who's who. They got lucky that they played the Mets over the weekend and won three out of five there. But last night, Garrett Cole got lit up again. He's been very average. Don't worry, Yankee fans. You only got nine more years of Garrett Cole and only owe him about $300 more million after this year. But the Yankees team now lost their seventh game in a row to the Tampa Rays. Think about that. Seven in a row to the division leader. The Rays are making the Yankees their personal bitch, and I didn't think that was in any way possible. So for that reason, I am a little surprised that the Yankees stood pat. As the mess turn, mess, M-E-S-S, this week was a banner week. And where do you begin? I, I guess you have to start with what went on last week when baseball came to the social justice movement. Dom Smith spoke over a game, African-American player, and a very good young player, and by all accounts, just an outstanding young man. And it was emotional, and it was a moving statement by Dom Smith after a game. The next night, the Mets and Marlins were, like a lot of other teams, trying to decide, do we play, do we not, where do we go from here? And they came down on the side of not playing. Well, that decision wasn't universal. Take a listen to the hot mic that picked up Mets general manager Brody, B-O-R-D-I, Van Wagenen, talking about the decisions coming down from both his bosses 
the Wilpons, and Major League Baseball's leadership, Rob Manfred. They're mulling that over. Baseball's trying to come up with a solution, saying, no, you know, it'd be super powerful. Three of, three of us here can't leave this room. They're saying, uh, you know, it'd be really great if you just have them all take the field. Then they leave the field. And then they come back and play at 8-10. And I was like, what? What's that? Rob. Jeff's scheduling is going to be a nightmare. There's so much at stake. And I said, Jeff, that's not happening. They're not dealing with reality. They're not playing, but that's Rob's instinct. And Rob, not exactly what you're talking about, at leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And that's so... Anyway, so we're we're waiting. Jeff wants to hear as soon as we hear from the Marlins. Conforto should, whatever we do, we need to coordinate with the Marlins. So as soon as Conforto hears from Rojas, right? Miguel Rojas? Yeah. Um, let, let me know because Jeff's standing by for that call and then we can. Rob doesn't get it. That's all I took out of that. Rob doesn't get it. And he doesn't. And he's right. And I'm not a Brody Van Wagenen fan in the least. I think this guy's clueless and he's done a horrible job as the Mets general manager. But he was spot on right then. Hot Mike caught him saying that and probably shouldn't have said what he said. Uh, Doesn't matter. What he said was accurate. The ownership group, the Wilpons, there are two Wilpons. There is the father, Fred Wilpon, and the son, Jeff Wilpon. And these these are bad billionaires lack of a better way to say it. They're just not good. They're meddling. They're cumbersome. And thankfully, they're going away soon, or at least 95% of them are going away soon. Each are guys that are friends with Rob Manfred. Think about this, that the Wilpons, their inability to fund the team the way it properly deserves to, is no different than what happened with the Dodgers and Frank McCord. Frank McCord was not able to pay for things the way he should have been able to in a big market team in L.A. Major League Baseball took his franchise, forced him to sell it. The new Dodger group spending like a bunch of drunk sailors, and they've been very good ever since. The Wilpons were great friends with Bud Selig and Rob Manfred, came back in with the same type of thing, except for Major League Baseball protected them. After the Madoff thing, when they didn't have the money, they were protected by Major League Baseball. Here, they're repaying Rob Manfred for that protection. Both Jeff Wilpon and his father, Fred, issued statements condemning Brody Van Wagenen for what they said. They spelled Brody, B-R-O-D-Y. They misspelled their general manager's name in a statement where they backed baseball and Rob Manfred and blasted their own employee. Way to have my back, boss. Then there was a news Friday that the Mets ownership group has reached an agreement or will finalize an agreement to sell the team to billionaire Steve Cohen. Cohen, if he's approved, will be one of the richest owners in baseball. It is expected that he will spend similarly to what the Dodgers have done. Steve Cohen 
may not ever be right. Let's face it. Sabre fans were excited when Terry Pagula bought the team because he was going to spend like crazy. Right now, I think that everyone would be happy if the Pagulas just went away in Buffalo because of the way they've mishandled things repeatedly. But Steve Cohen is likely going to be somewhere between what the Dodgers ownership group is and the Pagulas. And that's far better than anything the Wilpons will ever do. On Friday, the Mets swept the doubleheader. They won a game on a walk-off home run by Ahmed Rosario. A walk-off home run by the Mets against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. Nothing says more is more 2020 than that. The teams played again on Saturday. A wild pitch or a pass ball because Wilson Ramos, the Mets catcher, has about the same movement as I do. None and wasn't able to get his fat body in front of the ball to block it. So, you know, that's how the Yankees win Saturday. And then Sunday, as big a meltdown as you'll ever see in baseball. The Mets go to the ninth inning with a 7-2 to two lead in game one of a doubleheader. 7-2. to two. There's two outs and a runner on first, and it's 7-2. to two. Yeah, the Mets lost. Predictably, they lost. The Yankees then, in extra innings, Gary Sanchez, it's a grand slam in extra innings to beat the Mets and sweep the doubleheader. It's just uncanny how the Mets have the ability to lose games that are meaningful. And then yesterday was trade deadline day. Brody Van Wagenen's looking to save his job. The Wilpons are going to sell. The new owner's coming in. Every move he's made outside of J.D. Davis has been a colossal disaster, and none more so than Edwin Diaz, the pitching machine who the Mets threw out there as a closer. You know, the pitching machine, you get the ball right where you want it every time so you can, you know, get a good stroke. Yeah, that's what Edwin Diaz is as a closer. He's a pitching machine. They went out and got Miguel Rojas from the Orioles. This is a guy with a a four-and-a-half ERA and good stuff, allegedly. They gave up a legitimate left-hander, their minor league pitcher of the year, and a player to be named later for a guy who really wasn't doing the job for a bad Orioles team. Not excited about that. They then threw a couple players to be named later at the Texas Rangers to get back Todd Frazier. He's going to spark the locker room with his enthusiasm. Okay, great. That's awesome. Todd Frazier's coming back. And because they don't have a catcher, I mentioned Wilson Ramos, they ended up also bringing in a catcher, Robinson Chirinos. He's hitting 143. 143. He struck out 12 times this year. He's only got five hits. Perfect. Yeah. Run him out there. How much worse can he be? This team is a joke. How big a joke? Listen to Jeff Passan react to what went on over the past week with the Mets. This is all so completely absurd. I've never seen a general manager get ripped 
up and down by his owners, the point where they haven't even spelled his name correctly. <laughs> and, and beyond that, Greeny, the rhetoric that was in Fred and Jeff Wilpon's statements about Rob Manfred was extraordinarily dear leaderish, like way, way too over the top. <laughs> Literally just laughing at them. Just laughing at them. <laughs> Mets are going to met. It's great. They are a joke. And for everyone like me, roots for that sorry-ass franchise, we'll get through this. We'll, we'll all be stronger. Come on, we can do this. You know, you know we can. The NHL and NBA playoffs are winding down. Two game sevens coming up in the NBA tonight. As we record this, it, it'll be Tuesday night. Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray go for moving on the Utah Jazz against Denver. Look, this has been a great series. These two guys going head-to-head, 50-point games, three of them between the two, two for Murray, one for Mitchell. It's been fun to watch. If you are an NBA fan, this has been great stuff. Look, these two going back and forth is great. ESPN's Max Kellerman made the comment that this rivalry is going to be just like bird magic. This guy gets paid a lot of money to go on TV and say crap like that. What a clueless, moronic statement. Max Kellerman and Stephen A. have missed the boat on a lot of things over the years, and I'm not a fan of either of theirs. But how do you make that statement and try to back it up? Moronic. Absolutely moronic. Last night, Chris Paul led the Oklahoma City Thunder to a Game 6 win over Houston. Russell Westbrook is back, played well, didn't play well in the last minute. Game 7 there. Good stuff. The East, the Miami Heat beating Milwaukee. Watch the Heat. They can shoot it. They've got a star in Jimmy Butler. they got guys who can surround him and flat-out knock down threes Playing in a bubble without road noise, without the road crowds, these young kids who can shoot it, I think, are going to have an advantage. going to be fun to watch how that plays out. And the Celtics had a big win over the Raptors. I think that one will go seven as well. So the NBA, very good right now. NHL last night, Tampa finishes off. Boston, the loss of Tuka Rask, too much, in my opinion, to overcome. The Bees knocked out, so now things are moving on in the NHL. Great, great time to watch these games. And if you haven't gotten into it yet, give it a shot because it's it's pretty good. But the last thing I wanted to talk about today is yesterday we woke to find the news of John Thompson dying at age 78. John Thompson, the former Georgetown coach, was – a great, great man for a lot of reasons. And he he was more than a basketball coach to a lot of people. He was a second father, or in some cases, an only father to a lot of guys. He fought for guys long before it was vogue to fight for your players. He stared down drug dealers who tried to befriend his players in the district and wouldn't allow them around the program. He was a badass. He was big. He was intimidating. He was tough. But he was loyal to his guys. 
He built a powerhouse in Georgetown. We think of the big men that went there, obviously Pat Ewing, Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, the great big men who played there. But there were others as well. It was Reggie Wingate, and, or David Wingate and Reggie Williams, Michael Jackson. You think of that championship team in 84. The first black coach ever to win a championship was John Thompson. Nothing stood out more to me about that team than the guy who was an, an enforcer, Michael Graham. He was intimidating. He was tough. He was nasty. He was cheap. But that's what Georgetown did. They fought for everything, just like their head coach. They took on his personality. And basketball was at its best at that time, in my opinion. One of the best players he coached is one of the best stories that he coached. And it was Allen Iverson. Iverson was a great high school football basketball player. Could have played anywhere in either sport. But he was in an incident that led to a riot in a bowling alley in high school. He was sent away to reform school. Nobody was talking to him. I want you to listen to Allen Iverson talk about the impact that John Thompson had on his life when he was a young man. Uh, Coach Thompson? Uh-huh. Coach, Coach Thompson was saving my life. Um. For giving me uh, the opportunity, um, I was recruited by every school in the country for football and basketball. And uh, an incident happened in high school, and all that was taken away. No other teams, no other schools were recruiting me anymore. My mom went to Georgetown and begged him to give me a chance. And he did. stuff from AI and you know you think about it and I remember being old and living through all that I I remember all of those things and I remember hearing all about it and watching AI play at Georgetown but truth in advertising big Syracuse fan grew up near Syracuse and have rooted for the orange my entire life I hate Georgetown I hated John Thompson but I understood it and and this rivalry between Syracuse and Georgetown, Bayheim against John Thompson, the Andre Hawkins getting punched and Bayheim throwing a chair at a press conference by a Georgetown player, watching all the different things that went on between these two schools, Thompson getting thrown out of a game at the Carrier Dome and walking out with his hands up like this as the, the crowd was booing him. Just great, great basketball. And in the 80s, you think about the Big East and the ACC at that time, there was nothing like the Big East. 
and that was as much as there were great players like Patrick Ewing, like Pearl Washington, Chris Mullen, all of these great players. To me, the Big East was more about the coaches. Here's a league in its infancy. And think of the great names. Syracuse had Jim Beheim, legendary coach. John Thompson at Georgetown. St. John's had Louis Carnesecca. And was there a better moment than when Louis was wearing his lucky sweater and John Thompson, the game at Madison Square Garden, came out wearing his similar sweater under his sport coat? Brilliant. Just brilliant. Raleigh Massimino at Villanova, who ended up winning that 85 title by beating Georgetown. Just an amazing collection. Jim Calhoun and Rick Partino were in that league in the mid to later 80s. They joined in. And, of course, Gary Williams was at Boston College who went on to win a title at Maryland. So this is an unbelievable group of coaches. And while we always look back at the Big East and mention the players, as I did, Pearl, Ewing, Mullen, all of these great, great players, the guys at Pitt, Jerome Lane, Charles Smith, sorry, Knicks fans, just a great time for basketball, but nothing was bigger than the coaches. And I don't know that any coach cast a bigger shadow or had a bigger impact than did John Thompson. They beat Syracuse, ending a 52-game home winning streak, the last game ever played in Manly Fieldhouse before the Orange moved to the Carrier Dome. Thompson had that great quote saying Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed. Rest in peace. Man, Syracuse fans hated them. And that was before Georgetown was good. The next year is when they got good with Pat Ewing. It's just amazing to see how this worked out for John Thompson. Great figure, a great man who did so much good and fought for his guys when they deserved it. I read a story yesterday from a a guy who was an attorney. John Thompson called him up and said, hey, stop getting him out of trouble. He needs to get himself out of trouble. He needs to figure it out. I love that about him. This is a, a big loss. And, you know, again, going back to the heyday, in my opinion, of college basketball, John Thompson passing away doesn't get much bigger than that. Rest in peace, Coach. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Don't forget, our friends at Instacart are going to hook you up. Click the show notes. Groceries can be delivered in as fast as one hour in your first order. Over $35 free. It's on us. Take advantage of it. Talk next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Carl Falk. This is a Falcon Around podcast. We'll be right back.